Hi, you're listening to the Coding Black Females podcast, where we'll be sharing recordings of our events and inspirational stories and discussions from black women in tech. We're really looking forward to having some fantastic speakers and hearing some amazing things about technical architecture and leadership as well in the tech space. Um, I'm going to give you a quick introduction to Coding Black Females, tell you what we're doing, and then let you know what's coming up as well before I hand over. So for those of you who haven't heard of Coding Black Females before, or if this is your first event, um, we were set up back in 2017 to grow the community of Black women in tech. Um, we're now actually the largest community of Black women in tech, and particularly in coding, and we are really focused on promoting people's skills, showcasing the skills that Black women have, and providing opportunities to get into the tech space as well. We do events twice a month, um, sometimes more than that. Last year we had 55 events, which was almost a killer, but it was fantastic. Um, we also have a blog, a podcast, job board, we can provide mentoring, um, free courses, and conference tickets as well. There's so much more happening than that. So we also have programs that you can sign up for and a lot of programs happening really, really regularly. So please keep an eye out on what we have coming up. Um, we also do share a lot of speaking opportunities. So keep an eye out on the website for anything that could be coming up or the newsletter as well, because there could be paid and unpaid opportunities to support the community and share your story with people. Tonight, we have our technical architecture and technical leadership session, and I'm really excited about the four speakers we have tonight. Um, so we have Adiba Madwebuna. Um, she is a lead Android engineer and creative technologist. And then we have Akwia Apiajay, um, who's a cloud solution architect at Microsoft. Nana Fifield, who is the VP of engineering at Depop and Labrina Loving, who is the lead cloud solution architect at Microsoft. So we've got a really exciting lineup for you this evening. And just keep an eye out. So in two weeks time, we are going to have a, an event with BuzzFeed and their event's going to be Robots Helping Humans, where they're going to tell us about their comments moderation app that they've been building. They're gonna take us through the entire journey. So definitely want to sign up for in two weeks time. And if any of you are looking for roles at the moment, we have some jobs open um, on the Coding Black Females job board. So head over to jobs.codingblackfemales.com. And these are two of the posts, the jobs that are highlighted at the moment, which are gonna be closing soon. So definitely do look to apply for those as well if you're currently looking for any roles. We also have some programs that are running currently. So we will be opening for our Makers Scholarship on the 1st of March. So you can register your interest by going to bit.ly forward slash CBF makers, where you'll find out how to sign up to register interest if you would like to do the makers bootcamp for free. And in addition to that, we have recently started up our Black Coder bootcamp again, um, and that will be starting on the, where applications are going anyway until the 22nd of February. So definitely sign up for that if you're interested in a bootcamp um, in the UK. So I am going to hand over to our speakers. We have Nana Fifield first. So Nana, over to you. Thanks very much, um, Charlene. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Um, it's so nice to be here um, talking at this event. Um, I'm very excited to be taking part. Um, and firstly, I'd like to say thank you to Charlene 
for inviting me to participate in today's event. Um, I first met Charlene uh, more than a year ago, I think, uh, when I was a co-organizer for the Thames Valley Google Developer Group. And Charlene came to give us a truly inspiring talk about coding black females at our DevFest. So it's wonderful to be supporting here and this great community tonight. Um, I'd also like to give a massive thanks and shout out to my colleague and um, the Depop um, solution architect, Alexi Soshan, who's in, in here today, um, who helped me put the talk and present, presentation for today together. Um, and also, I know my son Luke is in the crowd, so um, a big shout out to him too. Um, so, um, first of all, as an introduction, um, I'm Nana Fifield. I recently joined um, Depop as VP of the engineering function, um, and I'm so glad that um, I've joined such a great company. You know, my um, career journey has been an exciting one for me. Um, it started from the early 1990s, so I've been working in tech for almost 30 years. Um, and I've really enjoyed working across a broad range of industries, which include telecommunications, investment banking, aviation, education, enterprise, businesses, and now Depop. Um, I started as an engineer and gradually moved up the technical ranks um, until eventually deciding to move into leadership positions. And I was lucky to have been given the opportunity by my female boss at the time, who was also an incredible mentor and in my position as a leader, one of my key goals is always to enable and empower people, businesses, and our customers. Um, so that is the true essence by which I stand for. And that's why I was so attracted to work at Depop. Throughout my career, I have found lots of similarities in the tech industry. I've moved it around different companies and seen lots of operating patterns, so much so that I'm actually writing a book about um, how to mature um, and bring about best practices in the tech industry. So um, that is going to be published quite soon. So watch this space. Um, and I'd like to spend some time now talking about Depop. Um, I'm just going to share my screen. Hopefully you can see that. Um, so about our brand, our platform and our technology. And hopefully you have heard of Depop. So um, who are we as an organization? Let me just move on to that. Right, so um, Depop was founded by a gentleman called Simon Beckerman in 2011 as a social network. Um, by 2014, the company had reached its first 1 million users. Today, our CEO is a phenomenal woman called Maria Raga. Um, and at Depop, we aim to empower our community to create a sustainable fashion system and to build the world's greatest fashion platform where anyone can find their identity, learn the basis of business, connect through creativity while doing their best to save the planet. And the three most important things to us at Depop is community, entrepreneurship and sustainability. And just a few facts, globally we have um, more than 26 million users on our platform across 147 countries. 90% of our active users are under the age of 26 or what we call the Gen Zs. So trust and safety is really important for us and for our community. Um, one of the things that Gen Zs really care about is sustainability and individuality as well. 
So um, typically we have over 32 million items available for sale on Depop with up to 140,000 listings every day. And we have over 1 million unique sellers and 2 million unique buyers on the platform. So sellers are building real businesses on Depop um, and they've made more than half a billion dollars since our inception. And our top sellers are earning six figure salaries right now. So I wanna talk a bit about tech right now and our platform and our architecture. Um, when it comes to technology and our platform, we're heavily invested in AWS as a cloud offering. Um, and you'll be pleased to know that Depop supports Android, iOS and web platforms. So from a tech um, stack perspective, we initially started some years ago with a monolithic architecture, which was served up in the cloud. Um, it exists today, but we've kind of migrated it onto AWS ECS, the Elastic Container Services. And as Depop has continued to scale, it meant that we needed a solution that could scale with us. Um, so we were able to start to look at migrating our monolith into more of a microservices architecture. And over time, we've been gradually migrating this monolith to become more scalable. Um, it's now hosted in at the Amazon EKS, so which is a hosted Kubernetes microservices solution. To date, we have more than 200 microservices in production. And we use Datadog to manage all our observability for collecting, aggregating and visualizing metrics, as well as distributed tracing for monitoring our applications and their performance. Um, we're also able to send business events to Datadog, which we use for being able to provide alerts to our engineers. And finally, we use um, Amazon's AL ALB for load balancing um, across our servers and our services. So our architecture, and this kind of shows a flow of our architecture through from the client side and how it gets rooted through to the back end and into our internal services. So um, most users don't even know that um, when they make a request, it passes through two layers before it even comes to access our numerous services. So um, you can imagine with um, customers in up to 147 countries globally, we need to be able to make sure that our content is, is served up in a responsive way. And we do that using our CDN, which is our content delivery network, which serves as an intermediary when it comes to transmission of our content to end users. And this connectivity reduces the network transit time when we're delivering content to our end users. And so copies of content are cached on a temporary basis through points of presence. Um, and these networks are in a hundred places around the world. Um, so it allows us to be closer to our users and able to respond to user traffic very quickly. So there is an API gateway which takes requests from users, performs verification, and routes the traffic to the appropriate services. So if you take, for example, that you're on your app on your mobile phone and you're searching for an item on Depop, um, you would mostly be connecting to several services, most of them in parallel at the same time. 
And um, so you would need to be able to search for product and several other services at the same time. I hope you can see my screen. Yep, excellent. So um, there's reference here to um, backend for front end. I'm not sure how many of you know about the BFF um, services, um, but it's an interesting one. So it is an architectural pattern. And here you can see our main technologies that we use for the front end and the back end. Um, and this kind of represents, you know, for iOS, uh, we use Swift for Android, Kotlin is the language of choice, and for web TypeScript and React. And then on the back end, um, Scala is our main programming language and Plain is the framework. Um, we also have Python, which we have used for our legacy monolith. And it's also a language we use for machine learning. So in terms of databases, our main database is Postgres. Um, we also use DynamoDB um, as our NoSQL solution and Kafka for asynchronous communications. And the BFF pattern is one that we apply um, because it allows us to serve different types of clients which have different types of usage demands. And it means that the front end can be agnostic to the back end and make it easier to replace endpoints of your data and your services. So the client doesn't need to know a lot of the details of the back end. And for instance, we might have several web apps or services in the back end all talking to many different services. And in our case, it's also more manageable as we swap out our monolith in place of our microservices architecture. Another benefit of this pattern is that the nature of a mobile experience differs from a desktop web experience. So on a mobile device, we have less screen real estate, which means we can display less data and we need to be conscious of things like battery life. So, you know, numerous calls will impact the battery life. So in practice, our mobile devices will want to make different calls, fewer calls with requests happening in parallel to multiple services in a way which is efficient. And we'll want to display that information um, in a different way to a web app. So the BFF pattern um, is coupled to a specific user experience. And typically we maintain that as um, by the same team. So you'll see for Android and iOS, they have um, their own, that each team, the Android team, the iOS engineers will be in charge of both the front end and the back end. And in our Scrum teams, we tend to have Android engineers, iOS engineers, web engineers, as well as Scala backend engineers and data scientists, uh, product and delivery managers. So here we talk about the data. So data is very important at Depop. Um, and as I said, we have data scientists. So we do a lot of, around um, analytics. We have our data platform, and for that we use Apache Spark. Um, we have a data lake where we can perform business intelligence and data analysis. And to serve up our business intelligence, we use Looker as our platform. Um, and also for search, we use Algolia. So 
how do we deploy our pipeline through onto the um, Depop platform? Um, as we de develop new features at ever-growing scale, we are able to deploy them onto our production platform. And um, we typically use Jenkins as our main um, build um, pipeline or tool. And um, we also build a few custom, custom tools around this. So we re frequently release software to our platforms up to 20 times in a single day. Um, and then we perform tests um, frequently and automatic, automatically. And then we have Docker images that are also created in an automated fashion. And then we push these into the Elastic Container Registry. And after that, there are manual deployments of the solution into staging and then into production. And from there, our users are able to make use of our very engaging features. So that's pretty much our tech stack um, and our platform. And um, finally, just to share with you that we have, um, we produce lots of blog information from time to time. Um, so we've got some great blogs there, which tell you all about Depop and the engineering culture and what we do. Um, and we're also hiring. So we've got our link to our careers board over there. So thank you. Thank you very much, Nana. That was great. It was really um, interesting to see so much about the architecture of Depop and everything that's behind there. The thing that I would really want to find out more about, and it doesn't have to be now, is about moving from a monolith to microservices. I find that really interesting. I know that it's an area of a lot of difficulty, so it'd be really good to sort of delve into that another time. Um, one thing that I did want to ask you about, though, was was around your role as, a, as the VP of engineering there. How hands-on is that? Do you get to have um, do you get to have that much involvement in anything hands-on? Yeah, so um, in, in my role, I'm very much, um, we well, basically we have a lot of work going on. We have a lot of scrum teams and we're continuing to grow. And so we have lots of projects going on all at the same time. So um, part of my role is really getting to understand and oversee how teams are performing and um, enabling them to continue to deliver against some of our plans but also we've got a great culture where you know we have sessions around um, design architecture um, where people can really take part in it so um, I like to join those sessions because truly it's phenomenal the amount of work that's happening but also the thought that's put into it and the information that that is shared around technology new ways of doing things, you know, what we're doing with Kafka, for example, um, in building our new solutions. Um, and, and also we put effort into our designs. When you look at the Google, I mean, the, the Depop interface and the application, it's really well designed, it's very creative. Um, we really want to provide the tools for our users to be creative as well. And so you get to see the whole production line, if you like, about all the bits that come together to deliver these compelling solutions for Depop. Oh, fantastic. And then, okay, so just going back to the monolith and the, micro, the microservices, did the, was the approach to 
I assume that you don't do that all at once, that you sort of say, okay, we'll take this piece out, turn that off, and then turn it into a microservice. Like, what is the general approach that is best to take there? Because especially if you're migrating a legacy system and you want to re-architect it, how does one go about that? Yeah, so that one's taken a few years um, in the making and we, we're not completely there yet, but we're getting closer. One of the first things we did was we decided to invest in AWS. So we containerized that uh, monolith um, and then gradually started to, as you say, take it apart. I think that BFF pattern really helped as well because essentially you can create your microservices architecture and your services behind that. And, and it allows you to have a separation of concerns so that you can start to change the endpoints of, so in converting from a monolith, you're now creating new endpoints that you can point to. Um, so it's, yeah, that has really helped us in just setting the architecture and the pattern correctly to be able to start to strip bits off and create more and more services. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you. I do. I do want to talk about it more because it's interesting. And um, what I would actually love to do is we have we do tech bref breakfast talks every Wednesday morning on uh, Clubhouse if you have an iPhone. And if you do have an iPhone, we'd love to invite you along to sort of have a session, maybe just delving into that sort of thing a little bit more and um, to talk about it. Because it's I don't know, I find it really interesting. I've been given that task to do quite a few times and then it just dissolves into nothing because nobody can, can tackle it because it's always years away. So yeah, thank you. Thank you very thank much you. for that. Thank you. Thanks. That was really fantastic. Um, do we have any questions from the audience? Um, if not, we can, we have a session at the end. So we've got half an hour at the end to ask additional questions. So don't worry about it if you can't think of them now. Thank you very much. Okay, so Next up, we have Labrina Loving, who is um, a lead cloud solution architect at Microsoft. <laughs> so it'd be great to invite you up, um, Labrina, and hear your talk. Yeah, uh, can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, so first off, thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm super excited to do this talk. Um, it, you know, definitely making sure that there's more Black females that are engaged in tech and making their journey to lead tech is um, super exciting and, and something that I'm very uh, passionate about. Um, so what I'm going to do is uh, just share my screen here. And share. Okay, is everyone able to see my screen? Can you see my screen now? Yes, we can. Thank okay, you. perfect. Um, so as I mentioned, my name is Labrina Loving. Uh, I work as a cloud solution architect lead uh, at Microsoft. Um, and part of my role, a big part of my role at Microsoft as a cloud solution architect uh, is to really work with customers. In my case, I work with customers who are um, uh, what we call independent software vendors or startup companies who are looking to build a new application or move their existing application to the cloud. So they have all kinds of uh, very deep technical questions 
around um, you know, their platform. And then in addition, uh, I'm helping them modernize their application and think more creatively. So how could they use um, things like advanced analytics or um, cognitive services and, and AI to actually provide more features and functions um, to their to their end customers. So um, that's kind of my day-to-day -day role at, at Microsoft. So um, just a little bit about me. I, I'm the oddball. I actually live in the US. Uh, I live in Washington, DC. Uh, I've been doing tech for about 20 years now. It's hard to say that out loud. Uh, um, as I said, I currently work a lot with cloud and cloud technologies and cloud native um, at Microsoft. Been married for a year and a half. I'm a dog bomb. Um, he's also my uh, pair programmer, um, I like to say. And uh, I would say I'm a, a former world traveler because you know, can't all travel, but uh, I've been to 40 plus countries and uh, I love to travel uh, and looking forward to doing that again at one time. Um, so for today's conversation, what I really want to talk about is um, being that technology subject matter expert, being that trusted advisor um, and leader uh, and having those conversations as a leader uh, when maybe sometimes um, because of uh, unconscious bias, uh, others may not see us as that leader. Uh, so it, it, it's definitely something that I encounter quite often. Um, and uh, I just wanted to share a couple of um, strategies and, and obser observations that I've seen uh, over the years around um, of dealing with that. Um, so I'll kind of share a, a brief anecdote with you or a brief story uh, about um, how this really came to crystallize for me. So uh, as I said, I'm a cloud solution architect. We go out and we go and talk with customers all the time um, and try to talk to them about moving their solutions to Azure or building something new on, on Microsoft technologies. Uh, on Microsoft Cloud. So uh, we were at, we had this meeting. Um, I came in as the lead technical cloud solution architect. And I was paired with another person who was actually um, the salesperson. So um, really their role uh, in the meeting was to more of the relationship building with the customer, not necessarily leading the technical conversation. Um, so we, we have this meeting, we go around the room and I'm up first, I introduce myself and I'm very brief. I say, hey, my name is Labrina Loving. Uh, I've been at Microsoft for three years, uh, been in tech for you know 20 years and happy to be here. Very short to the point. Um, my colleague introduces himself and he tells, he provides this really long, um, uh, just almost like a dissertation. Um, so he's talking about, uh, uh, you know, he's been developing, he's been a software developer since for 20 years, even though he hasn't probably built any code and, you know, probably since that point, uh, he was talking about um, a lot of his experience and, and he was very detailed and his pitch was really good. 
And in that moment, I looked at the room and, uh, you know, I got nervous and um, I, I really shied away because I saw the everyone in the room really nodding and looking at him. And for me, I, I came, I came to, I thought I came to the meeting to be the technology leader. And in that room, um, it felt like he was, he was that. And um, so I want to kind of um, share some, some techniques on, and, and things and have a discussion around how do you overcome that? So uh, for me, the first thing um, is to really address the moment, like, Right now, in this very moment, I'm feeling unsure about myself. Um, I, you know, maybe I feel like I'm not worthy to be here. I don't have anything valuable to offer. And there's an unconscious bias that's going on that um, maybe um, has been validated. Um, and then what but what I really need to recognize is that this is sort of a, a temporary thing. Um, and that that is something that you and that I can overcome. Um, you know, you do deserve to be in that room and you just need the opportunity to let others see you, let yourself shine. You know what you know, you know your tech superpowers, you know those things, and you just need the opportunity to do that. Um, and one of the other things that I, I actually noticed and I observed sometimes um, in, in those situations is that sometimes when you're encountered with uh, others that uh, might be over talking or, or kind of um, trying to diminish uh, your words, <laughs> um, sometimes it, it's really their imposter syndrome showing. It's really them, their insecurities and their um, kind of uh, feeling not confident that's actually at, at work and not necessarily anything to do with you. And so the next thing uh, that I always like to do is like you take a moment to address the situation and address that feeling. And then it's it's not necessarily where you start <laughs> in the meeting or in the relationship, it, it, it's where you end. So it's about um, sort of taking uh, next action. Like, what are you gonna do next now? So the first thing is really just actively listening and understanding the audience, understanding um, the personalities that are in the room, what they're trying to achieve, what they're trying to accomplish, uh, what their technology goals. And, you know, seek um, those times to uh, really um, inject your personality. Um, inject who you are, inject, um, you know, all those things, start injecting that into the conversation. Um, and then um, really at that, after that, uh, uh, during that, seek opportunities to share your technical muscle. So during the conversations, there, there will always, there will be those moments that open up um, where you will have the opportunity to talk about what you know. And, and be descriptive and, and you wanna seize those moments. So um, I'm a big proponent of uh, going and always sort of um, sharing um, a lot about uh, my technical journey during when I, with customers or, or with colleagues. Um, I'm a big proponent of sort of sharing 
what I'm working on now, um, how it's relevant, um, and, and just my overall experiences. And I think um, as you sort of start um, talking, that, that confidence starts to build up and that comes back. Um, so I think as we um, come into a situation as a technology, uh, as, a, uh, as an architect or as a technology leader, um, it's important to really understand your audience and understand um, the types of people that you're dealing with. So I kind of outlined a couple of types and, and sort of um, how you can um, sort of change your message and change the, change the conversation based on sort of knowing that. So I think it's really important to understand um, the, the people that are in the room and how they're motivated. And, and so you can start to get those like head nods, right? So the first thing is the facts and figures type person who uh, they're very, they, they really wanna know all the facts and figures about the technology. They wanna be as detailed as possible. They wanna go as deep as possible, um, you know, cause they wanna kind of show off their, their knowledge as well. And so they really are motivated and interested when you are able to really quote those kind of technology facts and figures, right? Um, and then um, there's kind of the, the brand recognition, right? So there's some people, you know, prior to the call, prior to the meeting um, or prior to knowing you, um, they might've looked you up on LinkedIn or some of your social media <laughs> um, feeds or, or however, wherever you are. And that, that was a little bit, that was a little bit strange for me at first, right? When I would go into meetings with these directors or CEOs or CIOs of large corporations to talk about um, the cloud, my reputation preceded me. <laughs> um, and uh, that was really interesting. You know, they, they actually were quoting back to me like, oh, I saw you on LinkedIn and you were doing these things. And it, it, it's something to keep in mind because that though there are those those types out there that they are very much so influenced um, by sort of they do some pre-reading about you and, and they're very much so influenced uh, by that. Um, and then um, I'll cover the last the endorsement one last, but um, bandwagon. So um, part of the those are the people that are in the room that will only get buy-in by other people, right? So um, you can convince them that you are the technology leader or you're the subject matter expert um, based on your influence to uh, of other people, other people in the room. Um, and then um, the last one is endorsement. And I think that's um, a really, really important one. Sometimes it's really important um, to have that sort of pre-conversation, that pre-work um, with colleagues and with others that will kind of help it when you're when you when you may not be known to others, um, having that kind of person that will endorse your skill set um, and that will that that you know will kind of you know lead give you a great introduction, right? And 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 to um, to others in the room, because sometimes that's important too, to, to some other to people in the room that they, they have to hear kind of testimonials from other people that, uh, hey, Labrina's brilliant, like, 
she worked on these things she worked on building this architecture for us and it was amazing and it helped and this is how it changed things so um i think sort of understanding the audience and understanding the needs um will help you sort of um uh change and and channel your message accordingly and um and and kind of help overcome some of those things so i all these things are really great, but really um, becoming um, a leader and technology subject matter expert is really all about practicing, like practicing your skills, practicing um, your practicing your craft. So I would say, you know, first build your pitch and practice that pitch. So talk of practice, you know, talking about your journey. Um, wherever that may be, whether it's um, one year or 20 years or 30 years or how, wherever you are in that point, um, talk about that. Um, talk about your superpowers and those change over time. Um, you know, there was a time in my career, I was a mobile developer, I was a mobile and web developer and that was like all the things that I did. And now I don't do that as much. That's not really my superpower anymore. It's something that's more of a passive thing, but it's something I know. Now my superpower is cloud and um, and uh, AI. So and and so those things, but sort of having that um, that understanding of, of of what your superpowers are and really being able to articulate those. Um, in, in detail is really, really critical. Um, not so much uh, being really general. Uh, I would say also be really specific about what that superpower or that, that like niche. Not, I'm, I'm really focused on cloud because cloud's a nebulous term, but I'm really focused on, so for me, I would say I'm really focused on serverless technologies and cloud native um, services and event and messaging. So some of those things that um, being really, really detailed and focused and specific about what your superpowers are. Um, and then if you if you get those two things right, um, I think the third point about you know why you should listen to me really sort of will will come <laughs> um, because you, you've sort of laid the foundation for that. Um, so definitely know your technology, know how it works, know the high and low level details. Um, and I think the second point is really, really critical. Uh, talk about your personal experiences. Talk about people really value you sharing your personal experiences with technology. Um, that's one way undoubtedly to um, gain influence. So talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, there are some services that we have at uh, Microsoft that are fantastic. And I will be honest and tell people that, that I've done some work with them and they're amazing. I'm also quite frank and quite honest about, oh, there are some things that I've worked with and they're not the greatest. And here's why, and here are some specifics about it. So really being able to talk about those things that's clear is key. Um, and then sort of sharing sort of the things that's not in the docs, right? So. Everyone can go to every technology service has documentation and anyone can go and, and read it. But I think you want to help um, others 
bring that that documentation to life um, and sort of share kind of what's uh, what's in between the words. Um, and so I kind of coined this. And then so the last thing I think uh, to practice is sort of is whiteboarding, uh, whiteboard as a service. So, um, you know, getting comfortable with with whiteboarding, seizing the moment. Um, and figuring out your whiteboard style. Um, I'm pretty like bland, but I think I, I can draw sort of high level and use my words to explain the tech. Um, but uh, some people are very, very detailed oriented and they're great artists. And if that is you, great. Um, and use that to your advantage. So, so knowing, really becoming like self-oriented and and I think also just, again, getting a champion, getting someone that's going to, you know, talk, talk about you ahead of, ahead of um, you, right? That's going to hype you up and build you up, I think is really important. And also someone that you can practice all these other things with. So you can, um, you know, practice your pitch and, and talking about things or, or whiteboarding. Like I, I have a ton of conversations um, with colleagues where I just call them up and sort of talk through things that I'm thinking about technically. And I, I, I talk about them, but then I force myself to whiteboard them out just in a very casual manner, just because I'm trying to build that sort of a muscle around um, whiteboarding and, and, and explaining technology. So just like, because the, this is so funny, um, I actually was practicing this uh, yesterday with a colleague. It's a terrible whiteboard, but it's just, again, I, I called a colleague up, we chatted, I wanted to talk through something and, and this is just like something I did, like scribble up. But it again, it kind of, I did this ahead of a conversation that I was gonna have with a customer to again, rehearse um, you know, you know, being able to be quick about uh, sort of articulating and understanding a specific technology, like this is just showing um, um, some components that are in a virtual network and uh, that are um, co uh, connecting to each other uh, uh, privately. So because a customer was really interested in how do I do cloud, but then making sure that um, I'm connecting to services in a private manner. And then again, you know, diagramming practices. <laughs> so um, that you know, I I write a lot of applications and, and dabble on my own. And um, again, just practicing uh, building out solution architecture diagrams and getting comfortable with talking about them is really, really, I think, um, really key and uh, really critical. Uh, to the work and, and becoming comfortable with, with speaking about technology in, in a really deep and meaningful manner. So this is actually um, a diagram that I wrote up that's actually for, I do, I, I was doing a podcast of my own and I wanted to build out this end-to-end -end solution for the podcast, uh, which I, I, I did actually. Um, and it's uh, sort of showing um, it running in a containerized and, um, using microservices and some AI to translate the podcast from uh, to different languages and to um, do speech to text 
and then sort of at the bottom showing kind of all like uh, cross-cutting concerns like um, key vaults and monitoring and logging and application insights. So, you know, being comfortable with doing this for a project that I'm just sort of building on my own helps give me the confidence to be able to do it, you know, for real and work every day. Um, so that's uh, really it for me. Um, I don't know if there are any questions um, that anyone asked. I don't know if there are any in the chat window, but um, yeah. Thank you so much for that, Labrina. Um, really, really insightful again. Um, I actually wanted to ask you a question around the diagram practice. Yeah. Uh -huh. So do you essentially just choose something that you're interested in um, or that you're working on and then diagram it to have that practice? Like how do you choose something to how do you choose something to to try and build out in that way? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of things that I do. So one is if you're just sort of starting out and, and, and you're sort of getting a little bit over, maybe it might be a little bit overwhelming. One of the things that I actually do is uh, take something existing <laughs> and sort of add on to it, uh, you know, in my own way um, as a way to kind of get started and, and, and practice. Um, or the other thing is, yeah, like I, um, I write code and, and, and a lot and just for, for kind of um, my own personal reasons or, or for anything. And so just being able to uh, just like I did, I, I took that podcast application that I was building and uh, just spend some time to sort of just diagram it out. Um, it wasn't really anything that's useful to anyone but me because I was the only developer, but um, it just gave me sort of that like practice. And, and then I could then take it a step further and show that to someone else, a colleague that I trust and sort of talk them through this and have them ask questions and, and you know, see if they're like nodding their heads or if they're like, oh, yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah. and that sounds like a really good idea. And it's always, I always love seeing other people's diagrams, especially the ones that they've drawn on paper because they look like <laughs> mine. <laughs> we, were, yeah. we were having a conversation the other day about um, diagramming out, um, like building architecture diagrams or whatever. And I was like, every single thing I draw has two squares and a database. Like, that's <laughs> and, I, and that's okay. Like you, like I said, you have to kind of understand that. Like there are some people that are beautiful artists uh, and they're really good at it. And they take very good amount of time. And so their pictures speak for them <laughs> versus me, you know, yeah, I've got some like square, I know square and round boxes and, or square and round blobs. And so that kind of pushes me a little bit more because it's like, if someone will see it and they'll go, oh, and I'm like, well, let me explain like this box. <laughs> so yeah, I think it, I think it's really important. Thank you. And um, we've had a question and um, Adrian, Adrienne has asked, um, how does what you do as a cloud specialist differ from a software architect? Yeah, so um, really it's, it, it's a little bit more, um, less, it, I think it's a really good blend of um, software and infrastructure. So as a software architect, I'm, you know, most people are really focused on 
um, building out the application, um, making it a performance um, in uh, sort of in, in the um, software component side. But as a cloud solution architect, I'm really more concerned about um, the application running in a in a distributed manner. So not just um, you know does this application work well? Um, am, am I using um, really good uh, best practices for building the software? But I'm also more concerned about um, questions like um, if I build if I deploy this application and I have customers who are in. Um, the US and that are in uh, the UK and that are in Australia, I want to make sure that that application is uh, performant and that, you know, the customers that are in the US have the same experience as a customer that's in the UK or that's in Australia and building um, infrastructure around that. Or um, because we are in the cloud, like understanding uh, security and, and privacy. So, um, less more on um, developing uh, the application uh, than more on deploying the application and making it available to customers and uh, making sure that um, it uh, is performant and has uh, the right uh, level of security. Fantastic, thank you. Um, we've also had somebody ask what your podcast is called. <laughs> So um, it, I'm, it, my podcast is on a little bit of a hiatus, but um, I have a podcast that's called Disrupting the Cloud, and um, it's actually all focused on um, people, women, and um, people of color that are interested in cloud or, or who have uh, been um, doing cloud and that come on and share their stories, whether they're just starting out or they've been um, doing cloud for many, many years. Fantastic. Thank you. We do have another question, but we're going to come back to it at the end. Oh, okay. Um, so disrupting the cloud. Love it. Okay. I'm going to share that. With you <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, thank you. So we are going to move on to Aquia. I'm really excited for your talk as well, Aquia. So Aquia works as a cloud solution architect at Microsoft as well. Um, I assume in different locations. <laughs> yeah, I'm based in the UK, London. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, hi everyone. I'm really excited to be here. And yeah, thank you, Charlene, for having me as well. And thank you, ladies who have gone by so far. Like I've learned a lot from your talk. So hopefully I can do well and follow up. <laughs> so I'm just gonna um, share my screen quickly. Um, hopefully you can see it very soon. Um, just let me know if you can see it. All right. Yeah, we can see it. Cool. So today I wanted to talk to you all about Azure B2C um, and all about authentication. Hopefully you can take something away from it and I can share some links as well so you can go off and like, you know, build stuff as well. So yeah. So on the agenda, I thought I would start off by sharing a bit about my journey and then obviously I'll dive into Azure B2C. And I, I don't know if I should call it a demo, but I'll do some sort of demo or tutorial just for my visual learners as well. And then just what you can take away from it and next steps. Cool. So in terms of my journey, these are not just random pictures. There's a story behind each one of them. Um, so in the first one where you see me off 
um, in NASA. Um, I was at the Grace Hopper Conference in 2019. I was fortunate enough to be taken there by an amazing organization called the Met um, as part of their student to the Met um, mentoring program competition. So I got to go there and basically the Grace Hopper Conference is the world's largest women in tech conference. And yeah, there was like over 26,000 women there. It was just crazy. And that whole experience in itself, um, along with other experiences I had as a software engineer before, um, just kind of confirmed that I wanted to be in the industry and grow in the industry because prior to that I was kind of winging it um, after college I didn't really know what I wanted to do so um, just kind of stumbling into coding and then exploring that and then being fortunate enough to be become a software engineer just and the experience that I had there just really confirmed that yeah this is the industry I want to be in but I felt as if I only had been given a slice of the picture and I wanted the full picture I wanted to continue to learn I didn't want to just stop there so um, I reached out to my well the, the person that I went on the Grace Hopper conference with um, as the network that we went on she actually works at Microsoft as well so when I reached out to her for my next um, adventure she suggested oh like do you um, have you thought about working at Microsoft and I was like no, not really. <laughs> I didn't really think I'd end up in the tech industry, yet alone um, pursue to work at one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, so yeah, she suggested um, I, you know, applied for their degree apprenticeship program. Um, she connected me to a few people, which I'm really grateful for. And long story cut short, I'm here today as a cloud solution architect. So then that takes me to my second picture, which is my um, when I took a picture of like my first day on the job. I only started working here last year, October, so I'm fairly new. But yeah, I was just kind of like taking it all in, just being very grateful for the journey so far. And then the third picture. So outside of work, I'm part of a huge dance group at church. We've danced all around the world and yeah, I just want to share that about um, me as well, you know, I'm kind of cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the journey so far. It's just beginning, but I'm really grateful. Um, I didn't like take the conventional route of like going to uni or, or anything, but um, yeah, I'm just very fortunate to be where I am right now. So I thought I'd give you that insight. And also that weird little logo that you're seeing um, is my platform Anomalies Views. Um, I um, yeah, have that platform just to share my journey into the tech industry, the highs and the lows and the in-betweens. And it's just a platform to kind of try and encourage people to pursue their dreams, you know, regardless of what life throws at you. I believe that you can get to your destination. Um, so yeah, check it out if you want to. So yeah, that's just a bit about my journey. Let's get into the fun stuff. Azure ADB to C. Um, I'm not sure if many of you have heard about it. Um, it was briefly on the slide before with Labrina. I don't know if you saw the little logo there, but this is um, this is all about um, identity. And the reason why, like, I felt like talking about it today is that you know we interact with um, identity like. It's just such a, it's a thing that we tend to overlook, you know, when you sign into an app, when you're trying to access stuff at work, you don't really tend to um, think about the authentication side of things. Things just happen to work. So when I stumbled onto like this, um, this solution, I was really intrigued by it because during my coding bootcamp course on the final, as my part of my final project, say we had to like build up a web application and part of it, we had to kind of build authentication from scratch, which was a nightmare, but we got there in the end. So like 
when I first got introduced to this solution, I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I never really thought there was like so much behind the scene that was going on. So I thought I'll just share a bit about it. But to, before I dive into what actually it is, I thought I would kind of go through some of the requests that some of the, um, some organizations may ask for when, when they're dealing with like managing identity and how they allow their users and their customers to access their services and resources. So they might ask that they want a simple and reliable, secure um, single sign-on access to their custom customer-facing apps. Um, they might want to, you know, migrate their existing customer accounts to the new cloud-based solution. They might like be interested in making sure that their apps are protected from advanced threats and um, attacks. And they might want to like comply with industry regulations and national data protection laws. So I thought I would highlight these things and then hopefully in the next slide, I'll kind of show how Azure AD B2C can solve these problems and these requests that they're asking for. So, what is Azure AD B2C actually? Um, so simply it's an identity management service solution, which allows organizations to custom control how users sign up, sign in and manage their profiles. And what I think is really cool about Azure AD, AD B2C is that um, instead of like creating loads of different accounts, remembering so many different usernames and passwords, it allows you to use your existing accounts. So your accounts that you may have with Facebook, with Twitter, with Gmail, whatever, um, it will allow you to use those accounts to sign into um, whatever app, app you're trying to access. So I thought that was a really cool feature of it. Um, another thing also is that you can custom how, um, organizations can custom how their sign-in looks so they can like custom it to their theme so it doesn't look like um, you're signing into like another company's um, portal, like they customize it to fit their branding, which is quite cool as well and ideal as well. And then also um, it has, it can be done in 36 different languages. So it really thinks about the customer's needs. Um, and then also there's something called um, pro progressive profile where as users, we want to like do things quickly. We don't have time to be like filling out our whole life's history. We just want to simply put in our email address and password and just be done with it. So the idea behind progressive profile is that, you know, you give the bare minimum information there and then, and then gradually as time goes on, um, it will find it will find ways to like kind of collect some more information about you, like your um, address or whatever. So it's kind of providing like a quick solution and it's really thinking about the customers in mind. And then obviously um, it has, it follows the standard based authentication post, um, protocol and it's quite secure as well, which is a um, key factor for the organizations involved. So that's like a kind of brief overview of what Azure ADB2C is. It helps organizations manage their identity processes. Um, so in terms of the architecture behind it, um, so firstly, as I mentioned, um, it uses, you know, the standard based authentication processes. So it uses OpenID Connect, OF 2.0 and SAML. And what does that actually mean? So it means that it's basically, so when I talk about protocol, I mean a computer system communication drill that is simply designed to securely transfer authenticated data between two parties. So it, um, it addresses that. And then also Azure ADBTC is like a central authority. So um, 
it allows, because it's like a central authority for all of your apps and APIs, it basically enables then a single sign-on um, solution. What that means is that instead of having like different, loads of different accounts to then access loads of different resources, you just have one single standardized account that you can then use to access the um, um, resources and applications that a company provides. And then also when it comes to um, how it loads and execute B2C policies from policy stores. So what a policy is, is that it basically describes the user identity experience. Um, so how a user signs up, how a user signs in, how a users modify their profiles. Um, and how it does that is that it has an extend, extensible policy framework, which is actually one of its core strength. And so from that, you're able to create two user, it gives you two options. So you can um, have the user flow, which is already predefined by Azure. Um, and then you can have a custom policies where for, um, if you have like more of a complex user experience that you wanna create, it allows you to do that through their policies. And then um, in terms of the third bullet point, it uses graph APIs to read, write, from the directory. So a directory is where B2C stores users' credentials and profile data, and it also stores your app registration. So essentially, Graph APIs allows you to manage these directories. And then when it comes to um, how it issues JWT tokens and SAML assertions, um, what it does is that it processes each authentication process um, it emits several types. So whenever it processes each authentication process, it emits several types of security um, tokens. And so JWT stands for JSON Web Token. So that's like a very high level overview of what the architecture is like at, in um, Azure AD B2C. So cool, I've talked about it. I'm pretty sure that it went over your head. So I thought I'd give you like a, um, I don't know if I should call it a demo. Hopefully this works. So. Um, if you want to actually like, you know, play around with it, what you have to do is go into the Azure portal um, and create a B2C tenant and a B2C tenant basically represents your organization and is a directory for your users and then you would register an application, you would then create your user flow, so how the user actually signs in, signs up, whatever, and then you add the identity provider, so what identity providers you want your users to be able to um, be able to be authenticated with, and then you're also able to customize your UI to fit your branding as well. Um, so that's that will be like the steps if you want to like interact with Azure ADB to C. Um, so hopefully this works. So yeah, you'll just simply log into the portal. Um, Azure portal helps you to allows you to build, manage, and monitor everything related to the cloud solution um, services that we provide. So yeah, you literally just sign in to Azure portal and then you pick a, an account um, and oh yeah sorry are you showing it currently because we can't see it if you're showing oh it. so sorry hold on <laughs> let me share my video um share oh. it again. thank you okay can you see it now yes now I can see um you're on Bing and yes perfect Okay. Sorry. So yeah. So to access Azure portal, you literally just type in Azure portal and Bing or whatever um, search engine that you use, and you will just go into Microsoft Azure and choose an account, and it will take you to the portal. And the portal, um, hold on, I can't see it now. <laughs> Bear with me a second. So, yeah. So once you're into the portal and you've created, uh, can you still see it? 
Yes, we can. Okay, cool. So once you're into the portal and you've created a tenant, which is which again represents your organization and um, is a directory for your users, I've created a tenant for this demo purposely. So code in black female BTC demo, um, that's my tenant. Um, you can then again, like I said, register an application, add an identity provider, create a user flow. So I thought I'd just give you that visual insight into how it would actually look like. And then there is um, there is a tutorial that Microsoft has created um, for you to be able to like learn how to um, authenticate um, using Azure AD B2C um, with a web app. Um, so you can either use your own you can either use your own tenant that you've created or you can simply just you know clone this repository so i can i'm happy to share this with you also that you can you know have something tangible that you can build and play around with but basically i, I did it before so yeah this this one this is yeah this is what i got from the tutorial and then i just launched it and then the end results will basically be um i should have recorded this <laughs> The end result will basically be this, um, which, yeah, where you can be able to log in. Um, and as I mentioned before, instead of like creating a whole new account, you can use, um, you can authenticate with your GitHub or Google or Facebook. Um, I use GitHub before, and then the end results will be something like, um, let me just show you the screenshot something like this where it will just basically give you a welcome in and I just showed another screenshot of me like authenticating with my GitHub account. So that was just like a brief overview and insight into how it would look like in practice. Again, I'll be happy to share the link with you so that you can do it yourself. Um, and then whilst I was like going through this, I came across um, the term PWA and PWA is basically a progressive web app and it's an app built from um, web text to rival native apps. Um, so you can like literally almost turn anything, any website into a PWA. For instance, our beloved Twitter is, um, is actually one of them um, that you can use PWA to yeah, it's running on PWA as well in the, in the sense that you can install it onto your home screen. Um, and then when I mean, when I talk about native apps, it, I mean, it's an app that's built in a specific programming language, um, which means that you kind of have to know the tech language that you're, you're using to develop those mobile apps. But with PWA, you don't have to know several different programming languages. As long as you know the basics or the, the ones that allow you to build the web app itself, you can then you know use it to use it on different platforms. And the reason why I brought this up for this specific um, this specific demo is that you know I thought it would be cool if to transfer the this, um, this tutorial that GitHub was talking about into PWA. So instead of like learning a new different language, I can literally just use this and then I'll have, um, I can use it on my mobile phone or I can use it on my web app. So um, as a challenge and a task to you all, I can share this link on how you can then transform the GitHub tutorial to a PWA. Um, yeah, so I can share that with you as well. So what was all of that about? <laughs> Basically, what I want you to take away from this is to just stay curious because when it comes to tech, you're like interacting with so many different things that you don't really stop to think, what's the, what is, what's going on behind the scene? What's the framework? How is it all coming together? And I think it's really important to stay curious so that you're aware of what's going on around you. So 
you know, from this, um, from this talk, you know, research into some of the things that have been highlighted, try and create some of the things that have been highlighted and stay curious. It's really important. And it's also important to keep up to date. I, um, I know there's Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow, they release their surveys every year where you can find out about the latest technology and what's happening in the industry. It's important to know what's going on around you. And then also keep the momentum. So don't just attend this um, event and just make it another event that you've attended. You know, keep the momentum by letting your audiences and your network know what you've taken away from this um, um, event. You know, go and create a little accountability group and try and find out how you can help each other um, keep, how you can help each other keep on learning and how you can help each other like to stay curious and keep up to date. So keep the momentum because it actually benefits you as well. It helps you to build your brand. It lets people know what you're up to. It lets people know you're, that you're being proactive and you never know what doors can open from that. And then finally, just stay in touch. Um, like I said, I run a platform called Anomalies View. So you can reach out to me if you wanna like play around with any of the links, um, any of the things that I've showed around I'll be happy to share a link as well. And yeah, so stay in touch. And yeah, thank you. I hope this was insightful. I hope it made sense. If it didn't, I'm happy to share some links so that in your spare time, you can go through it as well. But yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. That was fantastic. Um, we've had quite a few questions. So I'm gonna ask you a couple of them and then um, we'll move on, but then we can jump at more of the questions afterwards as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. So um, we've got one from Jessica Lodge. Um, really great presentation. How long were you a software developer before you moved to being a cloud architect? Literally one year. And it's, it was only one year because, like I said, I was only given like a slice of the bigger picture. And I was just really keen to kind of see how everything works together. And I was just really keen to continue to learn. And it wasn't feasible at the company that I was at so like with this role now I'm able to continue to learn I'm able to continue to have like that um, customer that opportunity to be face to face with the customer and just continue to grow as well so yeah only a year unfortunately but um, even in this role like I'm still able to like play around with technology learn things build things so I haven't completely lost out on the experience that I had as a developer. Okay awesome I guess that's one of the so I had a question around that so um obviously moving into cloud architecture what do you do on a day-to-day -day? like what does your day normally look like as a cloud architect it's so different and I think Labrina would be like would vouch for this it's literally different all the time so at one point I will be um you know with customers maybe like running a workshop to help them to understand some of the technologies that they're using another point I'll be learning myself because tech is con um, continuously changing and the cloud itself is completely new to me so there'll be one day I think we have something called learning days at Microsoft where it's just a day dedicated to learn whatever you want to learn so there'll be days where I'll be learning and like I said I don't know if I mentioned it but I'm also studying for my degree my undergrad degree so I'll have my study day as well at uni um yeah, workshops, learning, interacting with customers, playing around on the dual portal is different all the time. And I really like that because it just keeps me on my toes. <laughs> I need I need that constant change. So yeah, it's different all the time. Thank you. Um, and we had Pat ask, does Azure AD B2C use any formal methods for authentication? What do you mean? What do they mean by formal methods? Pat, oh, 
I'll have to let you speak. Pat, would you like to elaborate on that? I'm going to... Well, we can come back to it. <laughs> yeah, we can come back yeah. to it. We can ask it afterwards, actually, during the session afterwards. Sure. Um, can you integrate with on-prem Active Directory? Yes, so there's something called AD Connect that allows you to, you know, use what you already have on-prem to link to the cloud. So yeah, there's like a middle ground, man. Awesome, thank you. Okay, I've captured all the questions yeah. and we will move on now. But thank you, that was absolutely amazing, Akria. Um, to move to architecture after a year as well, I think is absolutely amazing. So thank you very much for that. Um, okay, now we have Adiba Madwe Buna, who is going to be delivering a talk and she is a lead Android engineer and a creative technologist. Cool. Um, Over okay. to you, Adiba. All right. Uh, let me share my screen. Hopefully, everyone can hear me. Yeah, we can. Um, we can do this. Okay. Okay. So presenting. It's going to start the timer. So. <laughs> cool. Um, so my name is Adiba Madegbuna. This talk is really about um, mobile development and also creative technology. Towards the end. Um, on a day-to-day, -day, I'm a lead Android engineer at a company called Smokefree. It's a small startup that helps people, like millions of people, quit smoking around the world through an app that's available on Android and iOS. So I, I lead Android currently. And I've also founded my own company called Anim Sessions, and that's kind of a way for me to kind of flex my creative muscle and take on different freelance projects. So the agenda is fairly simple, kind of I'll take you through my career timeline to get a sense of how I kind of got into a lead role. And then I'll go over a quick approach to like building apps, different approaches you can use. And then I'll dive into app architecture, just kind of touching, just touching it, not going too deep. And then kind of cover technical leadership and practice. And then I'll go into my side hustle and what that's all about. So um, my career timeline so far is about eight years. I've, I've had eight years in the in industry. And I started at a large corporation called Thomson Reuters, then moved to a smaller corporation called ASOS. And the last two years, um, I've been in startups um, in senior and lead roles because I just wanted to kind of test, my, test the waters outside of corporations. And I think that smaller companies um, at a senior and lead level really give you a lot of responsibility. So um, yeah, that's kind of an overview of how I've come into this um, path. So in terms of apps, like apps are fairly new if you think about it, like the first iPhone came out around maybe 2007. So um, it, things are still fairly new and um, there's so much to learn and there's so many things that have happened over that time. But I always like to think about building apps as building a house. It could be a small house um, like a nice bungalow or a tiny house. I love tiny houses, by the way. And um, or it could be like, you know, a massive skyscraper or a big building. And then there's a lot more considerations to kind of um, think about before approaching that. But at the end of the day, what you want to build is something that's robust and can be maintained. And architecture really shapes that dynamic. So in terms of approaches to building apps, um, I think, Akua, Akua, sorry if I didn't get the pronunciation right, briefly touched on that in the last presentation. Um, she mentioned the word native. 
So as an Android engineer, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a native Android engineer in the sense that I'm using Kotlin as my primary language to build Android apps. And um, typically an iOS engineer would use Swift or Objective-C previously to build native iOS apps. And what this means is that you can really tap into the full capabilities of the platform. So if you think about building a video app, for example, um, the way that video behaves under the hood on Android and iOS is very different. And um, these are the kinds of things that building native apps really allow you to um, kind of tap into. But on the other hand, there's lots of other different approaches to building apps. Um, and, you know, we kind of call these like cross-platform, you might have heard that word, hybrid. There's also new things coming across called code sharing, but essentially they allow you to do the same thing as well. But there, there are limitations in the sense that you can't really tap into the full functionality of each of the platforms. So one of these platforms is called Flutter and Flutter is actually a software development kit by Google. And basically you can write your code in one code base and deploy that onto Android or iOS. So if you think of a big team or if you think of a small startup, perfect for that kind of scenario to kind of get the ground running. Um, React Native is another framework that Facebook kind of you know, pioneered. Um, and it's also kind of the same thing, write code once, I think using React patterns and JavaScript and deploying that on Android and iOS. Um, Kotlin multi-platform is another way of doing things. And this is a bit different. It allows you to share code so you can write pieces of code in Kotlin and then iOS apps can use that and Android apps can use that. And um, there's pros and cons of doing both in different ways. Cool. So I'm gonna talk about architecture patterns um, briefly. Um, I think over the years of being a mobile developer, lots of different ideas come around and people always want to you know, talk about, you know, what's the latest thing um, on, on, you know, on the scene, everyone should be using this. But um, the, the truth of it is that, you know, you also have apps that have been in the App Store or the Play Store for years now. And so different apps are using a different combination of architecture patterns. And it's generally good to have um, an overview of these. So some architecture patterns used on Android specifically. Um, these are some examples of them. So MVVM, MVP, MVC, MVI, they also extend to other types of software development that are not necessarily mobile. And um, with any architecture generally, the main thing is that you want to kind of separate, you know, different parts of your code base so that it's easy to maintain that in the future. And it's easy to test things um, in an isolated manner. I'm just posting these graphs, um, these um, diagrams here. And if you want to do some further research, you can. Um, but I'll go into like the basic idea around this by showing you what's actually um, underneath the hood of an app. Okay, so these days we talk about kind of, you know, building apps in a way that um, it's modular, which means that um, different parts of an app kind of focus on their own responsibility. They live in different modules. And you know, that extends to other parts of software development as well. If you think about a house, you know, everything you would find related to a kitchen is in a kitchen. Hopefully, um, if it's a tidy house, um, everything you'd find, you know, related to the garden might be near the garden. Um, and in the same way, we have this kind of, you know, um, we have this, this kind of um, thought process when building apps as well. So here is an app 
and you can see user interfaces that's blue that lives everything that's related to the user interface in terms of what you see when you're browsing um, an app is in one module and everything that's related to a database is in another module and everything that's related to a web service in this case um, web service is just more of like networking so communi communicating with an api in the, um, and so on is in one module and then there's an, another thing in the green module called a repository which is essentially communicating with the database and the web service. Um, so there is a nice separation of concerns. This word is always thrown around and it's kind of um, applied in mobile development as well. Um, and it's the kind of thing that really helps you as you're growing a team to expand because then you can bring other developers onto the code base. Everyone can work in individual modules and this can really you know, help how you, your company kind of you know, achieves growth um, in the future. But that's not always the case because there are also apps that have been in the app store for a long time and are using old ways of doing things. Um, but this is kind of a, a new way of thinking or more of a best practice these days. So kind of briefly covered architecture, ways of doing things. But I think it will be nice to also, um, ooh, be nice to also talk about just like leading in practice and what that actually looks like. Um, so on a day-to-day, -day, I'm mostly focusing on building new features within the Android app. The code base already existed prior to me joining the company, and I kind of took on this code base from an agency that was based in Ukraine. So um, right now, it's really about enforcing new standards, um, kind of getting the app quality, um, improving that app quality, and keeping our app rating high. And um, overall, like, that kind of relates to, you know, app stability, so crashes, fixing bugs, implementing new architecture, um, writing tests. I love doing something called test-driven development where you write your tests before you write the code. So lots of like, you know, ideas around cleaning up code and enforcing that in the team is what, is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, but also building new features. Um, it's quite a small company. So the role is also quite um, tasking sometimes. Um, there's lots of things to do and, you know, um, for example, last Christmas, um, Christmas is a time when lots of people decide, oh, sorry, New Year's is a time when lots of people decide to quit smoking. So um, we have like, you know, big deadlines around that to kind of provide people with new features to help them um, stop smoking and also test out new ideas. So that's kind of day to day and that's like, you know, that's the, that's the okay stuff, but I think Another thing that's also exciting about being a lead is also um, evaluating new tech. Um, and this is an example from a previous company that I worked, I worked in. Um, so this company was called Moody Month and um, it was all about you know, helping women manage their cycles better, wellness, um, understand you know, um, what they were eating and how that was um, informing their moods but also helping them to understand, you know, their cycles, when their next um, lead would be. And um, it was quite interesting working at this company because um, at the time the CTO wanted to essentially share code between iOS and Android. So I was coming onto the team as a, as a senior Android engineer and she wanted to have a way to share um, um, kind of day-to-day um, -day business logic. And I'll get into what that is in the next slide. So to kind of explain what business logic means, um, this is you know the stuff that's unique to your app or unique to your um, software 
um, platform or you know software solution. Um, looking at apps, like if you're an if you're an iOS user or an Android user, it's kind of all the same. You know, you're looking at a screen, you're consuming information, and and like it's th th this idea of you know um, building for both platforms and sharing some code between them is about sharing the things that are common to your business. So why should you have to um, kind of employ a new um, suite of you know, iOS engineers and Android engineers to write the same code twice? Why not write that in one place and then allow your engineers to work on, um, to work on the things that are really unique to those platforms? And this is the, this is the use case I was evaluating for business at the time. And that leads me to the actual um, framework kind of solution that was used for that. So um, Kotlin multi-platform, as I said before, that, that's kind of allowing you to have code sharing across your application. So um, at the time it was really interesting and I got to play with lots of new tech and um, I actually got to write some code that was compiled on that, that kind of worked with the iOS app. So. Um, it's kind of exciting to just be able to, you know, pick up tools and do that and um, kind of come up with, with solutions for a business in that sense, at that level. So um, just to give a kind of overview of what that business logic was, um, this is kind of, you know, just on the right, it's a bit of code. It's not the actual code from the code base, because I think that would be against, against the rules. But on the left is kind of like just an, a way to see how some of that code was structured. So this is like, like you know, these are these are the, the files that are common and can be shared across iOS and Android. And imagine that, you know, the algorithm um, which you know kind of has things around contraceptive methods or even the classes related to that are in a core library that both of um, the platforms tap into. That's that's the idea here. So that's a quick overview of code sharing more of like mobile, um, see how much time I have left. Oh, a bit of time left, nice. Okay. So kind of going to this, this is like a side thing. Um, I think that, you know, although my day job is mostly around Android, um, there's still a lot of interesting stuff that's happening out in the tech world. And I think that it's really important to kind of pay attention to that. And the way that I like to do that is through focused learning. So um, I kind of, I created Anim sessions as a passion project initially to just you know learn about ideas, write blogs, and post content out there. And then over time, people started seeing me as an expert in that respect and asking me to kind of freelance on different projects here and there. Um, and here, it's not really about um, being an Android engineer per se. It's just more about being a broad technologist and really looking at tech out there and finding creative ways to utilize it. So um, an example of that is augmented reality. So last year, um, I was like, okay, I've kind of no Android now. Um, I know Android now, I do. <laughs> and um, what's next? Like, what's the other thing that is fun to do and is easy, you know, to kind of experiment with? And um, I said, well, augmented reality, you know, lots of people on Instagram, lots of people on Snapchat, maybe I can start, you know, learning a bit about these platforms and how to actually create lightweight experiences for these platforms. And um, I kind of went on a journey around learning that, learning about um, the tools required to do that, in this case, Spark AR Studio, um, 
learning a bit about, you know, 3D modeling, how to actually create objects in Blender. Um, also, you know, working with a designer, a very talented designer called Tinuke, um, to kind of produce assets for me, um, to also work on this um, grand idea I had. Um, on the right is uh, an, the Anim Sessions page, and there's some filters on there. If you're on Instagram, you can check them out and play with them. But um, I think it's also good to have branding around your project. So rather than just saying, hey, here's my new filter, everyone play with this. I, I came up with this um, project called Immersive Afrobeats. And each of the filters, they explore, you know, different ideas related to, you know, just the culture and, you know, the idea of a party. So on the left is the Afro-Ghana filter that I created. Um, and this is like a Kende hat. And imagine you're on Instagram. That's cool. You can play with that. Um, on the right is another filter called the Oambe filter. And this is kind of, you know, taking from the lavish Yoruba anti-parties that go on. And aside from that, I said, well, you know, now that I've created these things, um, I've put them out there. I want people to actually use it and give me feedback. Um, so, oh, this is not working. That's a shame, unable to play video. But this is actually a video of me DJing with people using the filters in the backdrop. Um, I've got my website at the end of this and you can actually check out how that played out. But um, this is kind of just an application of creative tech and saying, hey guys, come to the party, check out the filters, use the filters, you can pop up on the screen and um, you can be there on the screen whilst I'm DJing. Um, if I have enough time, I might find the video. Um, so lastly, this is another project that I worked on. Um, I, I like playing with hardware and software as well. So the software element of Anim Sessions was AR, but the hardware element of it was, um, you know, um, live streaming. So COVID was like, you know, a, a really cool time. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Sarcasm. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, COVID was a really like awkward time. You're in your house, everyone's locked down. But then I met some people who wanted to do a festival and um, live streaming was something that I started also just learning on the side and learning how to set up cameras and streaming on OBS and learning about production in that in that respect. And I was doing that through um, the Immersive Afrobeats project. And so I did this for another group of clients. Um, they had a festival that was going on in, in I think Essex at the time and they had Miss Banks headlining and they needed um, someone to kind of take control of their live festival offering. So one thing that Anim Sessions did was, you know, going down there, shooting, shooting kind of, you know, all the performances, live streaming that onto our website for people to enjoy. And um, I also did like an Instagram filter for them. And this is really the creative tech side of it. Just playing out, playing with new technology that's not related to my day job. Just learning about other bits and bobs and just having fun whilst doing it. And that's the end. If you want to connect with me, I'm usually on Twitter. And that's my Twitter handle. Um, if you want to check out the website, that's the website. And um, yeah, that's. Hope that talk was in. It was a was a nice talk, and you learned something new about mobile development or AR or anything really cool. That was awesome.
Thank you very, very much. That was amazing. Um, I love the, I love the fact that it started talking about mobile apps and then it went into, I do parties online with um, augmented reality. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> blown away. Um, and I know that everybody who's been listening, that I've been having a lot of messages come through as well about that. So thank you so much. Um, firstly, you are hosting the next Coding Black Females party. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> we will make there be a party and you're hosting it because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, we've had a few questions come in. Um, so one of them was, what would be the process for somebody who's already working in the web space, um, adding mobile development into their skill set? Yeah, so I, I guess the, the, it's more about what is the aim there? Do you want to become, you know, a native developer or do you want to utilize one of the existing frameworks um, um, out there? I think Flutter, as even as an Android developer, it's like, you know, me saying this, the Android community is like rolling in, in, the, in their sleep. But I think Flutter is something to really pay attention to. And um, it can really give you like a good overview of just apps generally. So maybe starting a side project with that. And then if you kind of say, or, you know, if you kind of see that, you know, there's an, there's one, um, sorry, that's the timer. If you kind of see that there's one platform that you gravitate towards, then you can invest some more time in that. But I think side projects are a good way to, to kind of start. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, and another question. So you were talking about um, MVVM, MVP and MVC when you were talking about the sort of architectures used for mobile apps. Are there, is there anything else um, that you've come across or what do you prefer out of those different ways of developing as well or building? So it's kind of changed with time. Um, so MVI is a new one, which is called Model View Intent. Um, but um, normally, like typically, I would work with MVVM. I'm kind of also learning about MVI and there's some really interesting frameworks in that direction. Um, but I think it's also good to understand everything roughly because in most cases you're dealing with legacy code and then it's kind of like thinking of how to, you know, get that up to, up to scratch. So if I'm working with legacy code, I'm mostly thinking of how to, you know, introduce an MVVM architecture around it. If I'm working on a, you know, on the weekend and I want to try out a new idea, I might be trying out MVI before I bring that into a project to kind of understand everything around that. So that's kind of how I go with it. Okay, thank you. And another one. Um, so you've kind of touched on it a little bit there. So you know when you work into a project, walk into a project and you're working on legacy code, mm. how do you, I know that when I've brought a ton of legacy projects, sometimes I'm like, do you know what, I'm going to just scrap it all, start again. <laughs> What's the best way to sort of walk into it and adapt that code, change it and, and make it, especially if you're walking into a project that's been built by um, offshore, like, yep. An offshore consultancy normally there's there's going to be like communication because it's like you're not in the same building that sort of thing so how do you make sure that okay i'm going to pick it up and and fix it really and and get it to tdd tdd it and stuff like that i think a great way is just to ask if there are any architecture documents so is, is there any kind of reference you can look at and then also just getting hands-on with with the actual with the actual app itself once you start to use it you might notice that oh you know there's a performance issue here that feature is kind of given a red flag so i think it's it's those two things were also understanding the business needs also comes first because then let's say you know you're focusing the, the, the let, let's say the priorities on adding 
a new feature to um, an existing um, screen, then maybe that's the place that you can start with refactoring. It doesn't make sense to it doesn't make sense to like go to another feature and then try and tidy that up when the focus is on this feature. Um, so that's um, that's kind of how I would tackle it. Yeah, documents, documents, play with the tech, and then business priorities. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess one thing that I have found is when you do work with good offshore um, consultancies or um, software houses, they tend to architect everything first. They're like, where are the documents? So they can make sure that they're then building against something. So that at least you'll be starting from hopefully a good point in terms of the documentation. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I also see like tests as documentation sometimes. Mm -hmm. The tests can tell you a lot about the underlying features. Uh, that's the point, actually. Yeah, because if they've been, if it's been tested, it's been tested. If there's no test, then it's like okay, hope for the best. Fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember um, there was a project I was working on, and I asked where the tests were, and the response was, "Devs aren't supposed to write tests, Charlie." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my, <laughs> this is going to be fun." <laughs> um, thank you very much for that, Adiba. That was really insightful honestly um everybody has been it's been absolutely amazing having having everybody here today it would be good if we could ask some questions to a few of you so there's some questions that have come in since you finished um and it would be good if we could have a bit of question time which means that if anybody does have any additional questions feel free to pop them in the chat and i will ask them but the first one um, towards Nana is, when did you say your book is out? When is it out? Well, it's actually going through um, the final stages of refinement. It was supposed to be out in January, but right now it's targeting the beginning of March. Okay, please let us know when it's there. I certainly will. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Labrina. Um, somebody asked, you know, when you were talking about the architecture diagrams that you were showing, are there any um, websites or apps that you would recommend for people to learn how to start drawing architecture diagrams? Um, you're on mute. I would always be the one that did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there are a couple um, that I can think of, and for some reason, I I can't think of the one um, that comes to mind right now, but I, I'll post it in the chat. Uh, um, gosh, I cannot remember it. Um, but there's a couple of really good like web-based ones. Uh, I can't remember them now, but um, I'll, when I think of it, I'll, I'll, I'll post it in the chat. Fantastic, thank you. Um, we have a question that has come in, which is, in terms of job opportunities for experienced um, technical professionals in the BAME demographic, do you find it easy to find opportunities that interest you in organisations where DNI is at the forefront of their talent considerations? Um, as I see a paucity of experienced architects or senior technical leaders. So I guess, do you? Do you find that when you're looking for roles, I know that when I'm looking for roles, I'm looking for alignment of values and stuff like that as well, especially later on in my career, it's 
it's less about like um, the salary or whatever. So how do you, when you're looking for roles, what are you looking for? Um, I suppose is one question. At more senior levels. So I, I can probably answer that. Um, I think um, the company culture and the values are really important. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen that kind of tend to turn me off a bit and, and I try to get the message across is, especially for technical roles, I want to see um, a wider demographic. I want to see women interviewing me. I want to see people of color interviewing me. Um, it, it just shows that there is um, more diversity in the company. Um, and also I think that um, in those interviews, people think differently and act differently. So it's good to have that connection during the interview process. And then the work itself is important. So is there um, other opportunities to do something different, to kind of feel that you're continuing to grow and evolve? Um, and and um, also what, you know, career progression is also important. Thank you. Um, and this is another one to all of you. I'd be interesting to know what you kind of all answer this. What do you think is the most exciting thing happening in tech right now? It's a really hard question. This is the sort of question that I would hate to get, but <laughs> I'm interested in the answer. So Labrina, I'm gonna ask you first. Darren, I would have to go be first. Um, <laughs> so um, I I think uh, some of the so I think it's it's two things. One so one I think on the super uber uber techie side, um, I think what's exciting for me is some of the, a lot of the things that are happening around data science and machine learning, um, and artificial intelligence and and really being able to. Um, leverage it in uh, the right way. I think the technology has been around for a while and there's been uh, this evolution of it, but I think we're starting to um, take it from just being, you know, a super cool technology and having conversations about applying it the right way. Um, thinking about things like responsible AI and, you know, bias and data. So I think I'm excited because I think we're, we're like, uh, AI is finally um, becoming, coming to the forefront and it's being, starting to be implemented in the right way. Um, and I think on the other side, um, what I'm really excited about is just, um, just there's so many more people interested in tech and interested in coding from all different backgrounds. Um, when I started, that was definitely not the case. So um, I'm super excited about just um, all the people that are out there that are learning out loud um, and that are coming from different backgrounds, variety of backgrounds that I now get to collaborate with and, and like get different perspectives about tech from. Thank you. Adiba, do you have an answer? I think it's probably the culture around remote work and how that's going to like level the playing field for a lot of developers. So um, the, my current job, I started that in November 2019 and flexibility was really important for me and, that, and that's why I joined that team. And then just seeing how everyone else has kind of embraced that because of the pandemic. 
but also um, now I'm starting to see a lot more roles that are saying, you know, fully remote or, you know, a US company that's saying we want anyone from anywhere or, um, and, and also seeing that the impact, the impact that that will have on, you know, the kind of African continent and the next generation of developers coming out from there. Um, Cause I was, I was back in Lagos and this Christmas and I was just talking to some developers um, back home and people are now unable to, you know, access jobs in different markets and really just everyone's kind of on a level playing field. So remoteness really democratizes some of that in that way. Absolutely. Thank you. Aquia, you have an answer. Yeah, I was actually going to say the same thing about like just how the, how, where we're moving to now, where the whole thing about working remotely now is, is causing us to challenge some of the things that were, you know, the norm before and like trying to see, just trying to question like, does, does things need to be this way? I think the doors that it's opening and just um, yeah, the challenges and the things that it's allowing people to think about, I think it's quite exciting and in terms of like where it's going to go and the direction it's going to head. It doesn't seem exciting now just because we're in it, but I'm sure like in a few years time, the fruits that it will produce will be like, oh, this actually came from us working from home. So yeah, I'm excited to see where it will go. Thank you. Nana? Um, I'm going to take a slight left field. Um, I think the world of 5G is opening up a lot around technology um, and lots of opportunities. So IoT, edge computing, the connection to cloud, like Labrina said, really um, opening up machine learning and analytics, um, self-driving cars, um, the, ab the ability to have real-time information and making decisions on the ground. I think that is, going to explode and it's going to be very exciting and I think it's going to change our lives. Hmm, that's really interesting actually. Yeah, thank you. I always, so I've seen, when I've read articles about um, things that are exciting and coming, you always see AI and you always see like a lot of those things, but I've noticed IoT started to be on there as well and I hadn't really thought of why, but I think, yeah, with what you said, it does make a lot of sense um, in that sort of way. Thank you. Um, okay, another question. So does the size of users or location affect how software and mobile apps function? What should someone look at when building? Size of users are um, location. I would say um, location, yes, because then it also affects how you're going to market that app. So um, it also affects, you know, the platform that you might want to kind of um, release for first. So emerging markets, more Android focused, and this side, um, more iOS focused. In terms of size of users, I think that's that also matters because that, you know, requests scale, that's one thing that you also have to manage. So in terms of how you're building the app, um, so like, you know, communicating with APIs, trying to not use a lot of you know bandwidth. Those are, those are kind of the, the kind of things that you have to watch out for from the engineering perspective. Um, but there are lots of services that make that easier now. So if, like with Firebase, for example, you, it, it takes a lot of like heavy lifting off in terms of having a backend, and you can just focus on your features um, on the features that you're working on, and kind of you know not really focus on scale. So, so thanks to all the, the lovely cloud 
architect people who are just building, building cool stuff that you know you can just plug into. Thank you for making it easier for us both of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and Aquia, can you compare as yours user architecture, as yours user authentication offer to Cognito on AWS? Yeah, so I like I researched quickly about um, Cognito because I hadn't heard of it. Of it but yeah it's literally I think it's quite similar as well like it's all about authenticating users and allowing um, organizations to control and who can access what resources of theirs so yeah I think it's the equivalent maybe I'm not sure if I'm right Labrina if you're more insightful in that area but yeah just from a quick research it seems quite similar mm-hmm. um yeah just there are a lot of um similarities uh, with uh, Cognito and with B2C, meaning that you can, you know, bring in different identity providers, Google, um, Gmail or GitHub or, or whatever. And um, you, you can have people use um, like emails to, to authenticate, but then also, and then also they have the similar concept of um, like user flows. So, uh, to kind of control the log on experience and log off experience or registration. Um, I think the one key difference uh, is just being able to, because ours is built on um, uh, Active Directory, which also supports um, kind of more enterprises, uh, that that um, might be just kind of one difference. But yeah, they are very, very, very similar, actually, and it's something um, I work. I work with a lot of customers who are uh, either moving or duplicating their products uh, from AWS to Azure, and that's we definitely um, have pretty similar, uh, pretty similar services. Thank you. Um, so somebody's asked a question for the people who have been in the industry for longer. How easy or hard? Has it been um, to rebrand yourself, upgrade your skills, to map to modern technologies and job titles? Um, Nana, okay, you go first. <laughs> sure. Um, I noticed the word for the older panelists. <laughs> I changed it because I was like, I'm feeling I'm it. Not, I'm not saying older. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, you know, I think, you know, nearly 30 years in the industry, I've touched on a lot of challenging experiences. Um, now is so much better than it was. And you you kind of go through a lot of struggles. And so you are naturally adjusting. And in all of that, you're trying to ident- un- understand who you are. And um, at times there have been quite a lot of microaggressions and you have a struggle with your identity. So as you get older, you get more confident, you've tried and tested different approaches. And um, I, for me, technology, I decided that I should stop actually responding to um, the pressures from other people and I needed to look at what interested me and where I wanted my um, career to go, but also governed by my interests and the skills that I was learning 
and making sure I was still learning and growing and developing. So that was what was important to me, as well as my values. So um, in terms of rebranding, it was first understanding who I am and then um, being very, very particular about what types of jobs and companies I went to work for. Um, and then um, again, you know, like I was talking about IoT, I love it as a subject and um, I do a lot of that at home. I experiment, um, I, I've automated my own whole house, right? It's got IoT gadgets everywhere. And I really am passionate about that industry. So um, yeah, it's about being authentic and authenticity is about getting to know what you want and where you wanna go. And then the technology and everything else will follow. Fantastic. Thank you. Awesome answer. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, thank you for that. Cool. Okay. Thank you all for amazing talks. Um, literally, I, I've just had the streams of people saying, this has been the most inspirational thing and it's so impressive. And I'm really, they've, everyone's really appreciated everything that you've shared. And I know that a lot of people have taken a lot that they've learned away from this as well. Um, it would be great if you could all give maybe just a tip um, or a tip or something insightful that you would like to share before we end the session. Hmm. I'm gonna go in alphabetical order, Adiba. Yeah. Um, so I think like the tip is like never stop giving up because I feel like in tech, especially when you're starting and maybe you're applying for technical roles and you're even, even lead senior and you're kind of doing different interviews you might experience rejections along the way, but never stop giving up and, you know, keep working on, you know, the things, I think it was, uh, I think Labrina said this, the things about you that are, you know, your strong points, keep working on those things. And, you know, I think that's the key to success. That's the tip. Really. Thank you. Akuya? Um, I would say don't underestimate your passions and desires right now and like kind of trust in the journey that you're on. Um, I'll give you I'll give you an example. You know, when I was starting this whole tech journey, I just had a desire to learn how to code, but you know, I wasn't in the industry. I didn't know what I was doing, but because I followed that desire, you know, and I followed that passion and I attended all these events and everything, it led to me being here. So don't underestimate the passions and desires that you have now. You don't know what doors they can open for you. So just trust the journey that you're on right now. And then finally, I'd say be proactive. You know, you've attended this event is great, but keep the momentum going. Let people know what you're doing. Um, write a post, let people know what you've taken away from the events. Just let, yeah, be proactive. Um, don't just do things, but let people know what you're doing. And eventually you will get to where you want, where you need to be. So yeah, those are the two things. Thank you. Labrina? Um, I would say uh, definitely connect and collaborate with people. Um, I guess, uh, you know, you, you can't really do this on your own um, or you can, but it, it, it gets difficult if you do. So I think, you know, don't be fearful or afraid to ask for help or engage with people, um, organizations and things like this, like coding black females are awesome opportunities to connect with people. Um, and, and just start building out, you know, your team. I think, I think 
Um, you know, social media has actually been a really good medium for me. Like things like Twitter has actually really been good. I've followed a bunch of people in tech and, and really connected with them. User groups have been great for me. Um, so I would say, yeah, just um, connect, connect with people, connect with people in tech. Um, and because that's really the, to me, I mean, the technology is amazing, but it's really the kind of what's kept me here is really the relationships kind of underneath it um, that I've built with uh, so many people over uh, all the years. Um, and the, you know, the tech is sort of just the kind of ice cream on top of the, the cake, but um, yeah, but I would say definitely just connecting with people is, is key. Thank you. And Nana? Um, and I think, you know, I think all of this advice is brilliant. So um, I would just add to that is um, keep challenging yourself, step out of your comfort zone. Um, I, at one point, set myself a target of going to three hackathons a year and meeting, and I mean, going in cold, joining teams, meeting people, and you learn so much so quickly. So essentially just push yourself to the limits. Um, and, um, you know, the, all the advice, I've learned some amazing things from um, the three speakers here. And actually, you know, I'm so humbled. Um, and it's also given me motivation to start to do some of the things that they're doing, so. Thank you. Thank you all. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. I have absolutely loved everything that everybody has said and I've learned so much. So thank you very much for your time. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, I look forward to doing it again. And yeah, um, we'll be catching up soon uh, to try and do something in the future again. So thank you very much. And thank you everybody for joining and for listening. It's been fantastic having you all here this evening as well. Thank you for listening. To find out more about what we do, head to codeinblackfemales.com.